Welcome to the Nun Report, bringing your regular dose of truth, freedom, and weirdness with your host, Dan Nunn. Thanks for tuning into the Nun Report. Uh, we've got a beautiful day up here in the Northwest. I tell you what, this is one of those days that even though our politics are screwed up here in Western Washington and uh, Oregon, there are days where it is God's country. It is the most beautiful, most green uh, place in the world. We're in the mid seventies up here today. It's one of those times where you really don't mind living here as long as you avoid all the BS and you don't have to go into the to the city like Seattle and you know the shithole of Seattle anytime. And you don't have to uh, listen to Jay Dimsley, our, our illustrious king governor here, who ruled us all through COVID, which is what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to try a couple of things different today that uh, I haven't done before, may or may not work. We'll see. But um, it's kind of on topic. A, a video came across my feed today. It's been going around Twitter and uh, some on Facebook, but mostly on Twitter. And it's a, uh, a Dr. David Martin and doctor as in professor, not as in MD. And he's a businessman, he's, he's very articulate, he's very smart, and he's very well studied on the history of coronaviruses, gain of function, when things happened, what happened, who was responsible for them, and what organizations they were. Anyway, it's about a 20-minute video. I'm going to play the whole thing, and I'm going to put it out there on, on my show and let everybody listen to it, because I think it's that important. It's important, I think, that we that we remember not only what was done to us, but that we fully understand what was done to us. All right. And, and so we're going to go into that. I've also, you know, it's fan mail Friday, of course. So we're going to do that. We're also going to hear a little bit from uh, uh, president Trump as he gives the five worst disasters of all time. And uh, as brought to you by Sean Farish, of course, my friend over at uh, captain deplorable at captain deplorable on the socials. If you haven't checked him out, you need to. He has absolutely the best Trump impression you'll ever seen. We're going to kick off, though, with something from Raheem Kassam. And if you haven't, if you don't know who Raheem is, you've got to check him out. Uh, I know probably some of the people that follow me on Facebook, where a lot of my following is, may not know who he is. Make sure to check him out on Twitter, at Raheem Kassam. And, uh, but he has a, a publication out there, The National Pulse. And it's really catching on. It's got great in-depth analysis and reporting, as well as short takes and hot takes too. Everything's pro. It's articulated really well. You're going to want to check it out. Their website is thenationalpulse.com uh, or at the Nat Pulse, okay? Or, uh, or thenationalpulse.com. Also at Raheem Kassam if you wanted to follow him on Twitter, if Twitter is your thing. Twitter is certainly the place to go to get news. It's the central location of everything. You can find a lot of information there that you simply won't find anywhere else. And I think it's a, it's a good resource for a lot of things as long as you know what you're looking for and are able to sort out the BS from the facts. So uh, having said that, make sure you follow me on Rumble, this channel, as patriots, I think we should support each other. And one way to do that is by following so that it helps the algorithms for generic exposure, the more followers you have, the more activity you have. So hit like on this video, hit follow or subscribe. It's free, even though it says subscribe, it's free to rumble.com slash the nun report. I'm also on all the socials at the nun report or my website, the nun report.com links into everything. One stop, one shop right there. Anyway, I'm going to try something here, uh, do some screencasting of an article that's in the national pulse. And, uh, and just kind of go through it and comment on it. Now, this is this is something new. I've never 
never screencast on this show before. And I figured out, I think, how to do it with my software. And um, it might be, it might work cool. It might be a total train wreck, but there's only one way to find out. So uh, let's get to it. So again, this is from the National Pulse uh, with Raheem Kassam. And I want to be, first of all, I want to make it very clear. I'm in no way affiliated with the National Pulse or Raheem or any of this. I just found this article to be interesting. I find this website and what they're doing to be of value. And so when I find something of value, I like to share it with those in my network and people that I know. I think it's only the cool thing to do. I appreciate, I always appreciate when others share stuff with me that they find interesting or of value. So, uh, so the National Pulse is a publication that um, is radically independent, they say, and it's it's run by Raheem Kassam with other contributors, and it's uh, something I think you should check out. There's also podcasts. They have uh, deep analysis. They have hot takes and short takes and everything again, like I said, all that good stuff. So anyway, this article goes into uh, Donald Trump, the Pence Task Force, and why DeSantis' revisionist attacks will fail is the headline. And I... I'm not going to go through the whole article because I I want to encourage you though to go there and and read it yourself and that's at the nationalpulse.com. Um I am going to go through and highlight a few things. So I mean, you know, he starts off with some basic background which I think we can we a lot, you know, many of us can relate to. He says there's plenty of things we can say we would have done differently on the onset of COVID-19. I was originally supportive of Mike Pence's task force and the 14 days to slow the spread. I regret that though I don't regret calling it out as a lab-leaked virus from day one. And that's what it perked me is because I saw the video from David Martin, and then and then my wife came across this article and shared it with me, and they kind of related because, again, it was, I believe it was a lab leak, and I think that the video that is going to follow this segment is going to demonstrate that really well, including uh, source information and receipts that you can follow. So anyway, he continues, Donald Trump, Shirley has his own regrets expressed through his repeated disowning of Anthony Fauci, Deborah Burks, and many of the bureaucrats who we now know colluded to provide him with incorrect information. Perhaps you don't recall the anger from the corporate media when Trump called out the falsification of data and attempted to stop it informing policy. But there's, there's more that keeps niggling at me about the way Trump's opponents, mostly DeSantis surrogates, now deal with that issue. They point to DeSantis, scarcely better record. It's true to say that the Florida governor course corrected faster than Democrat leaders across the country, but it's ludicrous to argue that Florida was operating as normal throughout COVID. And that's 100%. The, the, the history revisionists they are trying to, you know, look, we were there. Okay. I was there. I'm not stupid. I watched what happened. So did you, we experienced what happened. This was not that long ago, just a few short years. And now they're trying to say, Oh no, Florida was open the entire time. Don, Ron DeSantis was all about freedom. He never followed the regulations and this and that. And, and uh, you know, he's just the greatest thing in the world. Bullshit. Okay? He had that state closed down. He forced people to wear masks. He closed businesses. He put checkpoints in throughout his state. He, didn't, he closed the beaches. He didn't allow people to go to beaches. He told everybody to wear a mask, even when they were in their own home. Ron DeSantis was as strict or stricter than many Democrat states for some time. Now, he did come around sooner than most, as Raheem points out, but the fact that that they're now trying to rewrite history and tell you that um, 
You know, no, no, he was great. Raheem continues, as a reminder, DeSantis cleared a public health emergency in March, limited beach gatherings and restaurant occupancy, issued an executive order closing down businesses, imposed quarantine orders, set up highway checkpoints, issued stay-at-home orders. He even... He was even far behind Arkansas, Iowa, Nebraska, and both North and South Dakota in defying Tony Fauci. When he did reopen the state, he admitted he was following President Trump's recommendations to reopen. So did you, did you catch that? And those were in DeSantis's own words, following. See, because he's not a leader. He's a follower. Ron DeSantis, as I said, he's got everything to lose Donald Trump has nothing to lose. DeSantis is vulnerable because he's young, because he has a young family. They're going to throw an onslaught like him that's going to be worse than they did at Donald Trump if he becomes the nominee. He has a family to look out for. He has a second term to think about. And once he gets in, he also has to, uh, he has a learning curve that he's going to go through. It's going to be like Donald Trump 2.0 at best well, he goes through that learning curve, and I don't want to do that again. I want Donald Trump in there. I want Donald Trump. He, already, he knows how deep the swamp is. He knows what he needs to do. He knows not to surround himself with the same bureaucrats and the same advisors, and he's going to go in there, I think. and kick, He's the only person, I think, who can go in there and do what needs to be done, again, because I believe that Ron DeSantis will be compromised for the reasons I already mentioned. So the article continues, uh, but the campaign talking points from Team DeSantis aside, there's something everyone seems to ignore, the origins of COVID-19 task force and the beginning of Operation Warp Speed. And the video that follows this segment with, with David Martin talks about Operation Warp Speed, but it's not, they didn't create this vaccine overnight. They didn't create it in a year. This vaccine has been in development for a very long time. This article kind of connects as a, as a good uh, preamble to what's going to be said in the following video. I hope that you stick around and watch the video. It's 21 minutes, and it's definitely worth it. I think it's a video that everybody needs to see. So if you remember, so Trump's first health and human service secretary, Tom Price, he made Big Pharma very uncomfortable, which is why they briefed his unorthodox views on mandatory vaccination of the Washington Post health report. Amy Goldstein, the article quotes someone from Avalier Health, a D.C. health policy consulting firm, who said, I've seen people with extreme views come into government and take the position very seriously. I've seen people with extreme views come into government and pursue their specific interests. The extreme position at that time? That Price used used to be a member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, which at that time opposed mandatory vaccination as human-to-human -human experimentation, which it is. It is. Price was released from his role in 2017 after five Democrats complained that he was... So here you have a guy that Democrats don't like. They don't like him because he's... Uh, he, he doesn't believe that, that vaccines should be experimented with on humans, right? And Murray and Wyden, they were among the largest recipients of Big Pharma cash. Raheem continues on Capitol Hill. Pallone, Neal, and Peters were also receivers of Big Pharma cash. All you have to do is follow the money. So who was Pharma's man? Who was the Democrats' man? We already, we already determined that the Democrats didn't like price. The phar pharmaceuticals didn't like price. Why? Because he wasn't in favor of vaccines, mass vaccinations, and experimentation on mankind. Farmer's man was Alex Azar. Alex Azar was the man Mike Pence recommended telling Trump he could receive Senate confirmation as a replacement for Tom Price, 
Pence knew Azar from Indiana, where Azar had worked as the president of Lilly USA, a subsidiary of pharma giant Ellie Lilly. Curiously enough, Alvera pops up again in a quote from another article by Amy Goldstein in November 2017. He is well accepted by Democratic policy people by having good policy want credentials. And Dan Mendenhall of Avalir adding, he will bring stability to this agency. He really understands the mechanisms of HHS. So they got rid of the guy that the Democrats hated and that Big Pharma hated, and they wanted to bring in a guy that the Democrats loved and that Big Pharma loved. And perhaps... Raheem continues, perhaps because it's Alizar was a member of the board for the Biotechnological Innovation Organization, Bio, a pharma industry organization, which counts among its members, Pfizer, Regeneron, Johnson & Johnson, and Moderna, amongst others. Quite the coincidence. Again, follow the money, people. I've been saying it since the very beginning. This was, this was, the vaccine was never going to work, and they knew it wasn't going to work. This was nothing but a massive transfer of wealth from the American people to big pharma. That's all it was. Okay. And they didn't mind that millions of people were dying in the process because they were all making money and cashing in their stock. And uh, it's sad. There are people that need to be called out. There are people that need to be in prison because of what they did. And this article covers part of it. The video that I'm going to play in its entirety after this covers it in a, in a more uh, historical perspective. Uh, going back, clear back to 1965. If you believe that or not, check it out. Um, anyway, more interesting question arises when analyzing early COVID days for a man who is obsessed with putting his name on absolutely everything. Why was it Alex Azar's task force and then Mike Pence's task force? Why was there no golden Trump logo on the task force masthead? Why did Azar and Pence so efficiently co-brand the initiative as their own? Anyway, it continues. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, like I said, but I encourage you to go to the nationalpulse.com and check out this article. It's, it's well put together. It's a short read. It's really not much longer. I could probably go through and read the, the entirety of the, of the rest of it, but I'm not going to bore you with that. I've given some of my commentary on what Raheem has written here. And uh, what's interesting about this, of course, they got rid of Azar, but anyway, um, Extending the pandemic, and then this is the last kind of point I want to touch on here. While using Trump as a figurehead, pushing him to do daily press conferences so the media could hammer him for the errors of the task force, Pence and Azar privately plotted to keep the pandemic going. Their incentive was their compromise to the hands of Big Pharma. They even broke cover in July 2020, telling governors they would make sure Trump did not end the COVID-19 emergency situation in reality. It was Pence and Azar pulling the strings despite Trump's repeated attempts to sideline Azar, who, whose department was more interested in providing Politico with puff pieces about Anthony Fauci. Raheem continues, what becomes clear upon the analysis is the disingenuousness of the Team DeSantis talking points attempting to leave all the blame for the overzealous COVID-19 response at Donald Trump's door. It tells us they'd be singing the other tune if they felt like he hadn't done enough. Again, DeSantis is a follower. He is not, he doesn't have the international experience, doesn't have very much national experience, and he certainly doesn't have the experience, I believe, to step into the White House and run this country, still the greatest country on earth, for now, 
And, um, and, and I encourage you again, I found this, I find this source valuable at the nationalpulse.com. I think they have some good stuff. I'm in no way affiliated with them. I'm just sharing things out. Okay. Anyway. Hey, um, again, check them out. All right. Moving along. I'm back. I don't know how that worked. I'm not the best reader necessarily when I'm reading live, but I hope you were able to follow along. Uh, go ahead and check out that publication. I think you're going to like it. And if you if you don't know of uh, Raheem Kassam, <laughs> you should, man. He's a, he is very intelligent, very good at communicating points, and he's got a great sense of humor. It's a, it's a good combination to have in a person, right? Okay. Coming up next, as I talked about, so EU Parliament COVID-19 Summit, COVID-19, and, and this is coming from David Martin, uh, Dr. David Martin, as in, uh, as in a professor, EU Parliament COVID-19. This is what he said. COVID-19 was an act of biological warfare per- perpetrated on the human race. It was a financial heist. Nature was hijacked. Science was hijacked. And I'm going to put this video in its entirety on my show because I didn't want to cut it up. It's important. Please this could be the most important video you watch. It's important that you understand what was done to us fully and how it began and its origins and how far back gain-of-function research went with coronavirus and into SARS-1 and so on from that point to where we found ourselves in 2019 where we had a worldwide pandemic that killed 7 million people if you count what we know of recorded deaths from COVID as well as vaccine injury, okay? The EU Parliament held the International COVID-19 Summit in Brussels, Belgium, earlier this month. In a recent address to European Parliament, a U.S. businessman specializing in patent auditing, David Martin, claimed that COVID-19 was not a natural occurrence, but a calculated act of biological warfare and a financial heist. Nature was hijacked. Science was hijacked. In his presentation in front of the EU Parliament, Martin argued that the pandemic we said happened in the last few years did did not overnight citing sources in public domain this has been going on for decades okay it didn't just happen overnight according to him and i agree with him by the way it's very well spoken very well thought out and very well presented so i hope that you stick with it here for the next 20 minutes as i pass off the show he said according to him the coronavirus was first identified in 1965 and serves as a model pathogen in addition they learned that coronaviruses can be modified, i.e. modified to attack humans as in biological weaponry, okay? And if you want to check this guy out, he's on Twitter at Dr. Martin World. So at Dr. Martin World, he also has a, a couple of websites that have all of his stuff on there. He's got a lot of interesting stuff. Of course, he has his businesses and he promotes himself as well. That's what people do, right? But he's also very knowledgeable on this topic and has that information on there. DavidMartin.world and FoleyLive.world. So without further ado, I'm going to pass off the show for the next 22 minutes to Dr. David Martin. It is a... It is a particularly interesting location for me to be sitting today, given that over a decade ago, I sat in this very chair right here in the European Union Parliament. And at that time, I warned the world of what was coming. Uh, During that conversation that was hosted at the time by the Green and EFA and a number of the other parties of the European Union's Uh, various representations, we were having a conversation on whether Europe should adopt the United States 
policy of allowing for the patents on biologically derived materials. And at the time, I urged this body and I urged people around the world that the weaponization of nature against humanity had dire consequences. Tragically, I sit here today um, with that unfortunate line that I don't like to say, which I told you so. But the fact of the matter is we're here not for a reprisal on past decisions. We're here to actually once again come to the face of the human condition and ask the question, who do we want to be? What do we want humanity to look like? And rather than seeing this as an exercise in futility, which is very easy from time to time when you're in the position I'm in, I actually see this not as an exercise in futility. I see this as one of the greatest opportunities that faces us because we now have a public conversation, which is now front and center in people's minds. When this was an esoteric conversation about biological patents, nobody cared. But when that conversation came home, then it became something people can care about. So I'm actually quite grateful for this opportunity. I thank the members of parliament for hosting this. I thank all of the translators who I apologize in advance. I will use terminology that is probably very difficult to translate. So my apologies. And I'd also like to acknowledge the fact that many of you are aware of my involvement with this in large part due to the amazing work of my wonderful wife, Kim Martin, who encouraged me at the very early days of this pandemic to get on front of the camera and talk about all the information that I had been sharing among very small groups around the world. And it was in fact her encouragement that put me in a place where many of you have heard what I have to say. Ironically, the world that I came from that used to be very popular, my CNBC and Bloomberg presentations, which were televised on mainstream media around the world, was an audience that I lost. I, I can confidently say COVID diminished my fame. But I can also confidently say that I'd rather stand among the people with whom I'm standing today than any of the folks that were part of that previous world. So this is a much better place to be. My role today is to set the stage for this conversation in a historical context, because this did not come in the last three years. This did not come in the last five or six years. This actually is an ongoing question that probably began here in Europe in the early stages of the mid-1900s, but certainly by 1913, 1914, this conversation started right here in Central Europe. The pandemic that we alleged to have happen in the last few years also did not happen overnight. In fact, the very specific pandemic using coronavirus began in a very different time. And we'll try to advance the slides here with one of these things. Oh, there we go. Most of you don't know that coronavirus as a model of a pathogen was isolated in 1965. Coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious replicatable viral models that could be used to modify 
a series of other experiences of the human condition. It was isolated once upon a time associated with the common cold. But what's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. And you heard me correctly, that was 1965. And by the way, these slides are public domain. You're welcome to look at every single reference. Every comment that I made is based on published material. So do make sure that you look at those references. But in 1966, the very first COV coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation. And you heard the date, 1966. I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying. This is not an overnight thing. This is actually something that's been long in the making. A year before I was born, we had the first transatlantic coronavirus data sharing experiment between the United States and the United Kingdom. And in 1967, the year I was born, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. Isn't that amazing? 56 years ago, the overnight success of a pathogen that's been 56 years in engineering. And I want that to chill with all of you. Where were we when we actually allowed, in violation of biological and chemical weapons treaties, where were we as a human civilization when we thought it was an acceptable thing to do to take a pathogen for the United States and infect the world with it? Where was that conversation? And what should have been that conversation in 1967? That conversation wasn't had. Ironically, the common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s. And in 1975, 1976, and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals, pigs and dogs. And not surprisingly, by the time we got to 1990, we found out that coronavirus as an infectious agent was an industrial problem for two primary industries, the industries of dogs and pigs. Dog breeders and pigs found that coronavirus created gastrointestinal problems, and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed, are you ready for this, in 1990. Did you hear what I just said? 1990. Operation Warp Speed? I'm sorry. Where's the warp and the speed? Pfizer, 1990, the very first spike protein vaccine for coronavirus. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that we were, we were told that, well, the spike protein is a new thing. We just found out that that's the problem. No. As a matter of fact, we didn't just find out it was not just now, now the problem. We found that out in 1990 and filed the first patents on vaccines in 1990 for the spike protein of coronavirus. And who would have thought? Pfizer. Clearly the innocent organization that does nothing but promote human health. Clearly Pfizer. The organization that has not bought the votes in this chamber and in every chamber of every government around the world. Not that Pfizer. Certainly, they wouldn't have had anything to do with this. But, oh, yes, they did. And in 1990, they found out that there was a problem with vaccines. 
They didn't work. You know why they didn't work? It turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse because it modifies and mutates too quickly for vaccines to be effective. And since 1990 to 2018, that is the published science, ladies and gentlemen. That's following the science. Following the science is their own indictment of their own programs that said it doesn't work. And there are thousands of publications to that effect, not a few hundred and not paid for by pharmaceutical companies. These are publications that are independent scientific research that shows unequivocally, including efforts of the chimera modifications made by Ralph Barrick in the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. All of them show vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That's the science. And that science has never been disputed. But then we had an interesting development in 2002. And this date is most important. Because in 2002, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Listen to those words, infectious replication defective. What does that phrase actually mean? For those of you not familiar with language, let me unpack it for you. Infectious replication defective means a weapon. It means something meant to target an individual, but not have collateral damage to other individuals. That's what infectious replication defective means. And that patent was filed in 2002 on work funded by NIAID's Anthony Fauci from 1999 to 2002. And that work patented at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. <gasps> Dave, are you suggesting that SARS 1.0 wasn't from a wet market in Wuhan? Are you suggesting it might have come from a laboratory in the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that's the facts. We engineered SARS. SARS is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The naturally occurring phenomenon is called the common cold. It's called influenza-like illness. It's called gastroenteritis. That's the naturally occurring coronavirus. SARS is the research developed by humans weaponizing a life system model to actually attack human beings. And they patented it in 2002. And in 2003, giant surprise, the CDC filed the patent on coronavirus isolated from humans in violation, once again, of biological and chemical weapons treaties and laws that we have in the United States. And I'm very, very precise on this. The United States likes to talk about its rights and everything else and the rule of law and all the nonsense that we like to talk about. But we don't ratify treaties about, I don't know, defending humans. 
We conspicuously avoid that. We actually have a great track record of advocating for human rights and then denying them when it comes to actually being part of the international community, which is a slightly problematic thing. But let's get something very clear. When the CDC in April of 2003 filed the patent on SARS coronavirus isolated from humans, what did they do? They downloaded a sequence from China and filed a patent on it in the United States. Any of you familiar with biological and chemical weapons treaties knows that's a violation. That's a crime. That's not an innocent oops. That's a crime. And the United States Patent Office went as far as to reject that patent application on two occasions until the CDC decided to bribe the Patent Office to override the patent examiner to ultimately issue the patent in 2007 on SARS coronavirus. But let's not let that get away from us because it turns out that the RT-PCR which was the test that we allegedly were going to use to identify the risks associated with coronavirus, was actually identified as a bioterrorism threat by me in the European Union-sponsored events in 2002 and 2003, 20 years ago. That happened here in Brussels and across Europe. In 2005, this particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. Described as such, that's not my terminology that I'm applying to it. It was actually described as a bioweapons platform technology in 2005. And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent, its official classification from 2005 forward. I don't know if that sounds like public health to you. Does it? Biological warfare enabling technology. That feels like not public health. That feels like not medicine. That feels like a weapon designed to take out humanity. That's what it feels like. And it feels like that because that's exactly what it is. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to. But we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over $10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side -side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar -dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. And it's been going on since 2005. Our gain-of-function moratorium the moratorium that was supposed to freeze any efforts to do gain-of-function research. Conveniently, in the fall of 2014, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received a letter from NIAID saying that while the gain-of-function moratorium on coronavirus in vivo should be suspended, because their grants had already been funded, they received an exemption. Did you hear what I just said? A biological weapons lab facility at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received an exemption from the gain-of-function moratorium so that by 2016, we could publish the, the journal article that said, SARS coronavirus is poised for human emergence in 2016. And what, you might ask, Dave, was the coronavirus poised for human emergence? It was W. IV-1, Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1.
poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community. There is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. The operative word, obviously, in that phrase, the word release. Does that sound like leak? Does that sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market and hung out and had sex and, and lo and behold, we got SARS-CoV-2? No. Accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen was the terminology used and four times in April of 2019, seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. Keep going. If you have not done so, please make sure that you make reference in every investigation to the premeditation nature of this, because it was in September of 2019 that the world was informed that we were going to have an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 2020, there would be a worldwide acceptance of a universal vaccine template. That's their words right in front of you on the screen. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. And the last slide. This isn't advancing, so if I could have somebody do it. Let's, let's read this, because we have to read this into the record everywhere I go. Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at the emergency threshold, that is often largely ignored. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, he said, we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-influenza or a pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Sounds like public health? Sounds like the best of humanity. No, ladies and gentlemen, this was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015, published in front of them. This is an, this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race, and it was admitted to in writing that this was a financial heist and a financial fraud. Investors will follow if they see profit at the end of the process. Let me conclude by making five very brief recommendations. The last slide. Nature was hijacked. This whole story started in 1965 when we decided to hijack a natural model and decide to start manipulating it. Science was hijacked when the only questions that could be asked were questions authorized under the patent protection of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and their equivalent organizations around the world. We didn't have independent science, we had hijacked science. And unfortunately, there was no moral oversight in violation of all of the codes that we stand for. There was no independent, financially disinterested, independent review board ever impaneled around coronavirus, not once. Not once. 
Not since 1965. We do not have a single independent IRB ever impaneled around coronavirus. So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain of function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much. I hope you found that informational. I hope that uh, you learned something from that. And I hope it it made you think, even if you don't believe in what he said or you'd like to, again, he cited all the resources. If you go to his, his Twitter and onto his website, you can find the resources that he's referencing. We were not able to see his presentation in his talk because the camera was focused on him, of course, the whole time. But he was showing slides of stuff that's out there in the public domain. He wasn't making things up. He simply put the pieces together and presented them in what I thought was a well-articulated manner where most people could understand it in its basic simplicity, right? And uh, I wanted to share that video with you. hope you stuck with it. And if you did, it's time for the weird part of the show. I'd like to welcome uh, my friend, someone that's been on the show before here, uh, Sean Farish. He does the best Trump impression you're ever going to see. And... Let's put him over on that side of the screen. Captain Deplorable 45com That's Captain Deplorable himself. This entire show sounds like a commercial. I'm just promoting everybody else except me. Maybe you can go to my channel, rumble.com slash the Nun Report, and subscribe there for free or any of the socials at the Nun Report, except for TikTok because I don't do that commie BS. Anyway, Sean Farish does probably the best impression of President Donald Trump that I have ever heard. He's a great guy. He's funny. He's articulate. He's got, check him out on Rumble as two. Rumble as well, as well as Twitter, Captain Deplorable. Also, he has another podcast called uh, Ungoverned that uh, that is really good too. So you're going to want to check out, again, that Sean Farish. I'm sure you've heard him around. Anybody who's, you know, follows podcasts and follows Twitter and follows alternate sources of information and news has certainly heard him. But he did a top five, the top five worst things in the world. Check him out. Sean Farish as President Donald Trump. It's the top five disasters of all time with your favorite president. Number five, the sinking of the Titanic. Rosie O'Donnell stepped on board and it became a submarine very quickly. Number four, the Hindenburg disaster. A big ball of hot air going down in flames, or as I call it, an episode of The View. Number three, the Mount Vesuvius eruption at Pompeii. Almost as bad as Stacey Abrams after a bad encounter with Taco Bell. Number two, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the worst press secretary in the history of our country. Never would have happened if I was your president. And the worst disaster of all time, the failure to launch, heard round the world. Ron DeSanctimonious, Little Meatball Zero, couldn't even get his campaign off the ground. It couldn't have happened to a better guy. Yeah, believe me. We believe you, Sean. Thank you so much for sharing and doing what you do, man. You're you're an entertaining dude, and you you get information out there in a informative yet uh, light manner that uh, that resonates with a lot of people. And, and we appreciate and thank you for what you do. All right, it's, uh, it's time for Family Mail Friday. By the way, it's uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, 
some of the places where I put my show up don't like, don't date your show, man. Cause then when we put up replays, look, I think people understand it's a replay sometimes. Right. So I'm telling you it's 2023. Some of this stuff is dated. If you ever watch this in the future, it's Memorial day weekend. It's beautiful weather in God's country up here in the Pacific Northwest. When it's nice up here, it is God's country. The rest of the year it rains and we have really shitty politics up here. So you probably don't want to live here. In fact, I'm out. I'm out in another year or two. Not sure where I'm going. I might travel the country. You might be see me doing my show mobile from a large ass fifth wheel as I travel about the country and decide where I do want to settle down eventually. Um, I think I want to check out more of the country and I want to meet a lot of different people. And a lot of my time traveling is spent in airports, mm-hmm. just bouncing through places and So I want to take the time to put my feet on the ground in a lot of places that I may have been passing through or may have been on business briefly, but never had a chance to really explore. And uh, so my intention is to do that. Anyway, it's Fan Mail Friday and haven't done a Fan Mail Friday in a while. I'm sorry about that. But man, they they still come through all the time. On What I do is I take posts, I go ahead and I make a comment, and then I go ahead and make them public. Now, I don't do this to shame them. I just do this to show their... uh, their idiocy, idiocy and their, their ridiculousness and uh, most of all their ignorance. I put a picture on most of them because from, from their pages to show you, I mean, they all have this look. They all kind of have this look. So we're going to kick it off here with, uh, with Chris Frey. Chris, I made, a, I made a comment or a post actually that laughy faces on, on people who are making serious comments, laughy faces without making any sort of rebuttal or contributing to the conversation is simply a form of passive aggressivism as far as social media goes. And it is. I don't think that people find your comment funny if it's a serious comment and they laugh. They put a laughy face as a reaction. I think it is a form of passive aggressivism. I stand by what I said. And so I said, laughy faces on social media, media's form of passive aggressiveness used by those who do not have the facts, are scared of the facts, or both. And of course, this guy comes in, he thinks he's being funny, and puts all these laughy faces. I said, man, you're proving my point. Anything actually intelligent to add, or are you just doing this for a participation trophy? Here you go. And he got our participation trophy. So there he is. Good job, Chris. You made fan mail of the week on the Nun Report. Next up... We have this guy, man, Bo Jarvis. Bo Jarvis, man, he's delusional. I uh, had an episode a couple of days about uh, earlier this week about Biden being a puppet, which he is. His comment was, if Biden is a puppet, the puppeteer is a governing genius. Record low unemployment, record high GDP, no wars. I guess he forgot about Ukraine. Uh, Trillions invested in infrastructure, Not yet. That's going to happen later in the plan. And deficit spending cut by almost $2 trillion. Again, unproven. It's a 10-year plan that they say by the end of our 10-year budget will have cut $2 trillion, which of course we know that will never happen. Okay? And he thinks he's funny. Look at that guy, man. I told him, it's never a good idea to use too much of your own product. Here's our participation trophy. And you can see that his product is a little bit of Mary Jane there in the background. On his page, he also, I think he's in Northern California, probably Humboldt County. He has a picture, an aerial view of the trees and a forest, basically, with an arrow saying, this is this is where I live. And so I guess he just is up there in the hills of Humboldt growing weed and doing his thing. Next up, we have Rich Grober, Grobersic. Rich Grobersic, good job, man. You made fan mail of the week. 
He commented on one of my posts, another hate site. Well done to incite more illicit idiots. I told him, hey, man, it's actually only you that I dislike. But here's a participation trophy. Good job, Rich. Thank you for participating on the Nun Report. And finally, we have Lawrence Cantwell. And uh, he told me to move out of my parents' basement. Hmm. I have owned several successful businesses in my life. I moved out of my parents' basement when I was 15 years old. I never looked back, and I never had an off year since then, okay? Oh, sure, I've reset a couple of times, but uh, I went fishing in the Bering Sea, deadly as catch style, when I was 15 years old, okay? That's where I learned to become a man and learned my work ethic. Where did you learn yours, Lawrence? I think he's projecting. He said, move out of your parents' basement already. I said, you are mistaking me for a Democrat. But here's a participation trophy. Anyway, that was an interesting episode. I, 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 I know it sounded like I was promoting a lot of things, and I am. Again, if, if I find something interesting or something that I like, I want to share it with my network and people that might follow me or people that I know. It just seems like a good thing to do. If you find something cool, is to pass it along. If you find something valuable that you find value in, pass it along. That's a that's a good thing to do. Anyway, and if you feel like passing it along, if you feel like visiting any of those sites, where it's, whether it's the the nationalpulse.com or you can find uh, Dr. Martin on Dave or Dave, excuse me, David Martin on davidmartin.world or at drmartinworld on Twitter. Uh, as far as the National Pulse, they're on Twitter as well at the Nat Pulse. And also at Raheem Kassam, if you wanted to check out what he's got going on on his personal Twitter page. Anyway, hey, thanks for watching. And if, if you've just been listening on uh, Renegade Radio or on any of the podcast channels I'm on, all of them, Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, Amazon, iHeart, I'm on all those things. If you're just listening, that's great. But if, if you want to see some of the stuff that I put up, particularly the, the video with, uh, with David Martin, Please subscribe to rumble.com slash the nun report. It's free. It's free. Okay. You can catch me on all the socials at the nun report, except for TikTok, because I don't do that commie BS, or just go to my website, thenunreport.com. Anyway, hey, thanks again for watching. And as always, until next time, may the odds be ever in your favor. Cheers.